Hello everybody, Mitch Michaels here. It's time for another edition of the Money Mitch Effect. Today features part two of the College Football Bowl Preview Show, the game picks with Bradford Bruns. It's been awful so far for me, but I look to rebound as we get to the big money games. Talking with Bradford about all that's gone on in the College Football Bowl season leading up to the Final Four playoff games coming up Saturday, December 31st. And then we're going to talk to CJ Deer, my good friend CJ from NFL land as we discuss week 17 of the NFL slate. One week left to go. Most of the playoff field set. Some big games this week. We'll discuss that as well as MVP NFL predictions as well. And we're going to get into a lot more. It's the Money Mitch Effect. It's the final show of 2016. Let's get to it. All right, now on the Money Mitch Effect, it's time for part two of our College Football Bowl preview. With that, Bradford Bruns back on the show. Bradford, thanks for rejoining the program, and we'll try to keep gloating for your sake to a minimum. Thanks again for coming back. <laughs> Mitch, my pleasure as always, sir. And you know, hey, it is obviously still we're in the midst of holiday season, and it's nothing but good vibes around here, positive vibes, and I'm sending them your way as well, my friend, because, hey, you are surging, we shall say. I was hot early but you've sort of taken that baton and you've proceeded to run with it over the last few days. So honestly, I'm feeling a little bit of pressure at the moment, not going to lie. So we'll go full disclosure here. It's We're recording this on Tuesday, December 27th. And for those of you that didn't listen to the part one of our preview, we went all the way through December 30th minus uh, a few games, a few of the New Year's Six games that are taking place that day. And we made all picks, confidence picks of every bowl game up to that point. So as of right now, on Tuesday, December 27th, Bradford has a commanding lead in the picks section in the percentage-wise. But as you mentioned, yeah. it's confidence picks. There's plenty of ways to make up ground, and there's plenty of ways to win this competition by getting less picks right. You know that from, from some experience there, but as of the start going, you're, I think, 11 out of 16 on fire early. And I'm going with, I think, 7 and 9 right now. You know, a tribute to Jeff Fisher, as I like to say, but still rising, winning three in a row. I'll tell you what, you were almost ready, Mitch, to utter an expletive. I could hear it all the way from Ohio it's yesterday. Close. It's not for that final final stand by Mississippi State on special teams. You needed that one as we go back yeah. through some of the initial contests. Mississippi State, the SEC, barely, perilously prevailing over Miami of Ohio. And the Bulldogs, you know, I wasn't that surprised that in the first half it was a complete no-show, but nice defense down the stretch, blocking not only a PA team, if, if I'm not mistaken, but certainly that field goal. Sickest feeling in the world for Red Hawk fans, no doubt. Well, yeah, and as I look at that game, Bradford, that was a big confidence. I think I went 37 on that one, so that would have just about oh. wrecked me at the time that Mississippi State just didn't show up and needed to survive over a max school that was at 500 as well. But Mississippi State, another one of those five and seven deservedly so bowl teams, gets it done. And from there, I took a little momentum yesterday with NC State and Boston College prevailing. But as we look back at the games that have already been played, certain things stand out to me. Right off the top, we had maybe our biggest upset winner that we're going to have all bowl season in the Idaho Potato Bowl with Idaho proving both of us wrong, the 17-point underdogs. That, to me, just sums up bowl season and why you can never really be too sure about these things, especially early on. Oh, there's no doubt. I was out in this niche of uh, finishing up some Christmas shopping at that time, and I was still monitoring and adhering to 
the Twitter very closely because why wouldn't you when you have the potato bowl condensing and you're trying to find out exactly what is happening there with the brood of one Scott Linehan, the fine offensive coordinator of the Cowboys. And I guess you don't bet against the Vandals after all around Christmas time. I was utterly shocked by that result, though. Honestly, I thought the Colorado State simply had way too much, entirely too much offensive firepower, but you ended up having a deceptive final score. The overall total number of points was preposterous. I think that we felt that could happen all along, but yeah, some of these shockers in the early going, that definitely ranks up there for me. There's no doubt about it. I have to admit, too, going back to just a few days ago, the Hawaii Bowl, I did not see, I didn't see the Rainbow Warriors, even being the host, taking it to Middle Tennessee State by a couple of touchdowns there either. 52 points against the Blue Raiders. I know that's not a great defense, but color me surprised about that one, too, because I took a big loss on that, as well as, yes, the Armed Forces Bowl. Navy mm, they were both there. falling <laughs> by just, just three. That was an entertaining game, but Louisiana Tech, hey, Raging Cajuns couldn't get it done, but Louisiana Tech, yeah, and the Armed Forces Bowl actually feeling right at home and winning 48-45. You know, that's true. I, I'm 7-9 and nine right now, Bradford, but on a five-game winning streak. I started about as bad as you could possibly pick these things. Uh, I'll own up to it. It was a 2-9 and nine start, but it all turned on the Troy-Ohio game. And then, yeah, Hawaii, Hawaii winning that game over Middle Tennessee down early really sparked everything there. And I thought that was exactly what I expected in that game was you got the hometown team. They're used to playing there. Middle Tennessee finally relented on defense. But... You know, the, that Navy game, too, Bradford. I know we, we make picks and we live and die by them, but I thought the pass interference call at the end really did swing the tide against Navy. You'd hate to see sure. plays, in, especially in bowl games, the last game of the season, you know, to be determined on penalties like that. I think that was, was really an interesting call. But, you know, it's been, a, it's been an exciting early portion of bowl season. There's been a lot of great games early, and I think we're setting ourselves up for some more classics as some of these better teams start playing, and it starts today, too, on December 27th. No, I concur with you there, and even with some of the games that perhaps weren't as aesthetically pleasing, if you will, I'm talking about Troy and Ohio, looking <laughs> directly at those two teams, they were nail-biters, they were down to the wire. Yesterday, I wouldn't necessarily say that Boston College and Maryland put on a throwback display that the uh, fundamental, uh, the founders of the game wouldn't necessarily <laughs> yeah. pleased with everything that they saw, but no, there was excitement there. Certainly the respective defenses didn't show up to the degree that I thought they honestly would. And, yeah, I took the L there. I went with the Terrapins, Boston College, and stuff prevailing. But at the end of the day as well, you had, yes, yeah, some interesting affairs. The SEC squad of Vanderbilt not necessarily acquitting itself extremely well. The Wolfpack showing up for North Carolina State and setting up a nice slate, no doubt about it, for the rest of this weekend. Like you, I'm just, I cannot wait. I'm chomping at that bit for the New Year's Six matchups. So what we're going to do first here on the Money Mitch Effect with Bradford Runs is go through the games that we didn't discuss that aren't New Year's Six games. There's three of those to get through, two on December 31st, one on January 2nd, and then we'll go right to the New Year's Six and spend some more time talking about those games. But again, you know, this is, uh, we still have a, a good four days of non-New Year's Six games to really make up some points in the confidence picks where I think we're both looking at some interesting matchups. Yeah. We'll start with the game that we didn't talk about, that is the Citrus Bowl, December 31st, in Orlando, 11 a.m. Eastern Time. And I know you're excited about this one too, Bradford. Louisville takes on LSU. I'll be the first to admit that I'm, I'm in another pool where we don't get the luxury of adjusting it at game time. 
I went with LSU. <laughs> Fournette then decided he didn't want to play in the bowl season. That's an entire different box of worms to open up. But Bradford, I'm still like an LSU even without Fournette. And I, I might be crazy, but I think this is an LSU team that can get the job done against an inconsistent team led by the Heisman Trophy winner, Lamar Jackson. Well, in stark contrast to the way in which we opened up, we were readily opposing each other during our first installment of the picks, Mitch. I'm right with you along these lines. And for me, for net the fact that he's not playing in this contest, if you're an LSU fan, yes, you're obviously disappointed. If you've been following, though, the Tigers program all season, you understand that he has been severely compromised by injury all year. You've had guys step up and be an extremely effective runner in his stead. And just all the way around for me, I'm taking LSU, and I am actually taking LSU by a fairly robust 29 points. And I say that primarily because we saw Louisville, we saw Lamar Jackson, the team struggles all together down the stretch, losing two of the last three contests. Now, for me, LSU is far and away the best defensive unit that Jackson will have faced all season long. You know about the high-powered offense, but the Tigers' physicality in the SEC, that's going to be the difference for me. And it's time for LSU to show, hey, everybody down in Baton Rouge is very, very excited, very ecstatic. I know you are as well about Coach O sticking around. (laughs) Well, okay, let's show now what you're building toward moving into 2017, moving into the future. The vibes are extremely good right now for LSU. I understand, obviously, Jackson took home the hardware, but it feels like that one-man individual show against a very cohesive, great team as a whole, LSU wins comfortably. And again, just to kind of recap, the confidence picks that Bradford is referencing, one being the least confident, 36, 37-ish, being the most confident. And you're pretty confident here that LSU is going to win. I'm I'm in the same boat. I'm... I bet by game time, I think I'm looking at that 26 range. I think we're right on par there, just about. I think part of it is the defensive effort. I think without Fournette, you run the risk of how is LSU going to be able to get points. But I think it comes back to that defensive side that should be able to shut down and bottle up Lamar Jackson. Louisville did not have much of a running game. And I'll pose you, outside of Jackson, and I'll pose a question to you, Bradford. How many times have we seen the Heisman Trophy let down? And you know what I'm talking about. They win the award, and then the bowl season comes, and it's just not the same player, not that Heisman-esque performance. I think we could see that again in Louisville's case. Well, there was a hotel room cameo from John Gisella. <laughs> there it is. Series, no, Jackson, if he is forced into a couple of mistakes early, we don't want to say that he is interception-prone, that he's turnover-prone, but when he has to truly wedge the ball in there against LSU as well, I don't know, honestly, Mitch, how much success he's going to be having in terms of getting out of the pocket as well because of that sideline-to-sideline side speed and athleticism from LSU's linebacking core. It sets up as a very bad matchup for him and also could be a very good all-season learning experience moving into next spring. He's going to have a lot about which to think, not just that Heisman Trophy. Yeah, it should be an interesting game. I'm looking forward to seeing these two contrasting styles go against each other. And, hey, it's the Citrus Bowl. Bobby Petrino on one sideline, Coach Joe on the other sideline. You know, might have to uh, take the motorcycle down there and, and just see what happens there. But we'll <laughs> I was going to say, yes, can you take the scenic route on a bike to the stadium? <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure Coach Petrino, I'm sure Coach Petrino will find out the most scenic route. That's for sure. Moving on now to the other game on December 31st outside of the, uh, actually the only other bowl game on December 31st at 11 a.m., you have Georgia Tech versus Kentucky in the Tech Slayer Bowl. 
The fact that oh, yeah. these two teams, eight and four Georgia Tech, seven and five Kentucky. Now, not the most, I guess, star-studded matchup, but these are two teams that have finished the season on a high note, Bradford. And I'll let you lead this one off. Georgia Tech rolling. They win their rivalry game over Georgia. Kentucky shocks Louisville at the end of the season. Who has the edge here, and how confident are you in your pick? Yeah, all season long, the Wildcats, the defense certainly didn't wow me really to any effect. And then they go out in the regular season finale, not only upset Louisville, but as we've stated a few different times, able to force Lamar Jackson into some uncharacteristic mistakes, pick him off three different times and tilt the field in their favor. Are we going to see that essentially a month plus later? I don't necessarily think so, and I say that primarily because of what Georgia Tech brings to the table as an unfamiliar opponent with that offensive attack, with that triple option attack. We've seen it time and time again, Mitch. We talked about it on the last installment, how Navy will be able to consistently confound, at least prior to this year, confound teams that aren't that accustomed to just seeing the sort of triple option attack and the array of different runners that can be forced at you in that regard. Kentucky, for despite what it was able to do at the end of the season, I still I wasn't that impressed with the overall body of work. You think about the SEC East, you think about really a lot of the also-ran pedestrian teams they ran through during the year. A decent campaign overall for Mark Stoops, but here, Georgia Tech, to me, the identity of the team is much more well-defined. I still feel as if the Wildcats are struggling to really figure out who they are, and despite what you saw against Louisville, I'll go with the Yellow Jackets here. Good rebound season for both programs, but give me the Yellow Jackets actually by 27. I'm pretty confident about this one, too. You know, as interesting as, you know, the part one of the preview was where we were butting heads, I think this is like going into from Rocky 2 to Rocky 3 where we're going to team up more and join forces because I'm with you on Georgia Tech <laughs> winning this game. I'm not as confident. I'm still low. I'm in that 15 range. I'm okay. Kentucky is... They're wild cats, but they're definitely wild cards in the sense that I don't know what to expect. We saw them in Middle Tennessee, gave them all they could handle earlier this year. They've looked really, really uncharacteristically bad at times, but then they turn it on and beat a team like Louisville. So I'm a little worried. You have the, the standard bearer of consistency in that triple option attack at Georgia Tech, and you have a Kentucky team that you don't know who's going to show up, especially in a bowl season, which is like a separate season. I'll take Georgia Tech here. I trust Paul Johnson, that triple option offense. I just don't think they're going to make the turnovers that Kentucky needs to capitalize on and have, have capitalized on for their recent wins. Is it also a bit of a low blow to suggest that you never trust a Stoops at the helm in late <laughs> December, early January? Oh, did I go there? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was going to, just to kind of add to that, and it might also be a low blow if we're going to really, really team up on him. I wouldn't trust uh, Stoops to make a conscious decision with months of preparation, you know, with the program on the line. But that's just me, too. I'm, not that anything in the news would cause me to believe that, but, hey, you know, we got <laughs> we got to just tell the truth here. It's, you know, it's Tuesday, and we're looking at a good, clean 2017. In all seriousness, I think this would be a good time to, to get on the serious side, Bradford, and take a little break from the bowl preview. Bradford Bruns on the Money Mitch Effect. There is, in my opinion, and we'll get to this game later, but I don't know how any upstanding or, or program that claims to be upstanding can play a guy like Joe Mixon at a time like this. I mean, I just think Oklahoma absolutely butchered everything about that decision-making. And, unfortunately, it speaks volumes about their program because they let that guy play knowing that that video was out there having seen it. That, that's I, I hate to you know break off from the bowl season, Bradford, but to me... It's just unacceptable. There's no other way to put it. 
Joe, much like you, to me, just the realization of that with the video, the footage, of course, striking an individual. It's all captured on footage, on video, no doubt about it. And yet, to for the administration there, for the athletic department at the University of Oklahoma to essentially say, you know what, it would be a different situation if this were to have happened, if this were to have been released in the here and now, most recently, a couple months ago, but because it happened back in 2014, I'm not saying that the university is basically saying that it's okay, but you're throwing it under the rug to a large degree, and to not have any sort of discipline, I'm not even talking about throwing the young men off the team, mm-hmm. but to not have any tangible discipline set out for such an egregious, egregious offense is, yes, borderline unfathomable. But as you said, in terms of leadership now, in terms of the message being communicated from afar across the country, we're sort of getting it now through the red and white mm-hmm. colored lenses out there in Norman. Perhaps not, but yes, to, to even think right now that absolutely no form of punishment has been levied against Joe Mixon. I just, I'm sickened by it, quite frankly. You know, and a couple of things here, too. I think there's no doubt in, in either our, of our minds that if he's not a five-star recruit, if he's not the starting running back, I think they handle it differently. That's the hypocritical nature of that decision. This is a president. Oklahoma's president has decided that he's going to have a zero-tolerance zero policy on certain issues, kicking out fraternity members for singing a song that had racist lyrics in it. But when it comes to his star running back, the, the breadwinner for the football team they're going to handle it differently. That's just a shame and, and terrible. And I'm all for rehabilitation. I think a terrible mistake as bad as that can, you know, you can learn from that and become a different person and, and say all the right things and never make that mistake again. But this is clearly a, a privileged situation where a star football player, someone valuable to his team, was given the benefit of the doubt and was allowed to stay unpunished, as you said, at this school. I think it's a terrible situation. And it also, it also makes me give credit to their in-state rival, Bradford, Oklahoma State, which handled a similar situation with Tyreek Hill, who's now in the NFL, much, much differently by punishing him, kicking him off the team, and moving in a different direction, even though he was such a good player. Very well put on your part. And expressing contrition, that's one thing. Actually, you know, pledging to be a different individual, to have addressed your behaviors accordingly, all that is great, all that is fine. You encourage the young man to do as much, but to not be held accountable mm-hmm. for such a past offense. Again, what does that say? What is the message being communicated when you have a zero-tolerance policy as enforced by the institution? In some instances, but not all, you are picking and choosing how to dole out the punishment, and it's just unfortunate. It is unfortunate all the way around, and it does color the upcoming bowl game for Oklahoma in a very negative light, not through any of the faults of the individuals on the team right now, those who obviously were not involved, but you cannot stray away from that additional storyline, that off-the-field storyline, in actually looking and previewing the game coming up. You just can't. Certainly can't, and uh, we'll rejoin now. We resume our bowl pick but I think that's something that we had to address and had to just discuss before we go any further, but I'm glad we were able to do that in a, in a fair and balanced way. The last game that we haven't talked about that isn't one of the big games is the Outback Bowl on January 2nd, Bradford, Florida versus Iowa. From Tampa, Florida, two 8-4 teams. I'm fairly confident here. This is going to be in my 30 range. I like the Iowa Hawkeyes here. How they're playing, how they're playing, how their defense has played since that Michigan upset. 
I just don't know how Florida's going to have any success offensively in this game. And I'm rolling with the Hawkeyes here by a comfortable margin. Right there with you. And, yeah, Florida won the SEC. What exactly <laughs> does that mean? I don't Look, know. Luke Del Rio situation at the helm, it didn't pan out granted. He was dealing with some injuries. But it simply didn't pan out in the fashion in which Florida certainly, for which Florida was hoping, and all season long, you kept waiting, okay, is this offensive attack, is it going to develop, is it actually going to manifest itself down in Gainesville, and all, all the way around, nope, once again, you're talking about a very, very fundamentally sound defense and a lack, an utter lack of playmakers at the skill position. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say that Iowa, despite, as we know, that huge home upset victory over Michigan, that this team is just a littered Garrison company with unbelievable electric guys at receiver who can take the top off the opposing defense. No, not whatsoever. I think this is going to be an extremely low-scoring game for those who really enjoy defensive aspects of football, who are more of those throwback traditionalists. Mm -hmm. They're going to enjoy this one on January the 2nd. I feel very confident, though, in the Hawkeyes as well. I like the body of work a little bit more. Again, competition out there in the Big Ten. Give me 31 for Iowa to up in. You know, all this agreeing is making me think i got to strategically move around some of the picks we don't agree on if I'm going to have a realistic chance of catching up with you. Uh, this is uh, a very, very revealing pick but I think it's hard to go against how Iowa's playing defensively given how weak the Florida offense is. I just don't know. This is as down a year the SEC's had. And Bradford, I think this could be a year where with some of these Big Ten SEC matchups that have always gone in the SEC's favor, it seems, this could be a Big Ten year for these bowl matchups. No, it really could be, and stunningly, one of the SEC outfits to have prevailed so far in this bowl season, Mitch, that would be Mississippi State just on, on Monday, obviously. But what's interesting is that one final note on the sub-500 teams that we love to malign going into bowl season, over the last few years, how odd has it been, actually, those teams coming in with five victories have a pretty impeccable record when the postseason yeah. actually arrives. It's almost akin to what we see in the early rounds, the first four of the NCAA tournament. Hey, give them a shot. Just let them get in. Mm-hmm. They'll try to show up. Hey, you never know. That's the beauty of this game. And we could we could argue about whether a team deserves to be in there, Bradford, but at the end of the day, once they get in, they take the field like the other team, and it's you know 60 minutes to see to see who can come out on top. I think it's it's great for the game. Now it is time, though, to talk about the New Year's Six games. We'll go all the way back to December 30th, where we left off last time. The Orange Bowl, Miami, Florida, 8 p.m. Eastern time. It's Michigan and Florida State. It pains me, pains me to be this confident in a team I don't like, but I think this is Michigan's game. The Wolverines, Mitch, are going to take this one, I think, and it's not even going to be close. I really don't. I'm, I'm so... So in love with the Wolverines defensive unit. And that seems like a very easy fullback device there. But when you're talking about a group that not only ranks second nationally in the scoring defense, only gives a 12.5 points per game for crying out loud, mm-hmm. but the total defense teams barely get 250 yards against this crew. And we were talking again about such a good competitive Big Ten collection of squads this season. The rushing defense there is too is just so well rounded and offensively making enough plays to be able to win the majority of games and I think really test the opposing defense here for Florida State, which for a good portion of the schedule, as you well know, really has been up and down. When Florida State loses and when Florida State's defense 
is bad, it is truly horrendous. And the three losses of the season, Mitch, going back through some of the numbers, talking about the Clemson game, talking about a couple of the other setbacks, they allowed an average of 46 points in the three defeats. Now, what you have, though, when you have to think about Jim Bo Fisher's squad as well, you're talking about a couple of standouts. If they can get penetration going into the backfield for Michigan, maybe this becomes a very interesting game. I'm talking about Demarcus Walker. He is a disruptive along the defensive line with those 15 sacks. Is anybody else out there in the country, too? And maybe you force the quarterback in into some mistakes. Hey, Tavares McFadden, he's waiting back there in the backfield, too, with those eight picks. So yeah. it's a pretty exciting matchup in terms of blue blood program. It is. But going into the second half, I have to say, I don't think Michigan is going to have a lot of problems. I really don't. This team is not happy about not being in the Final Four. You don't have to worry about a hangover effect. Believe you me on that front. Michigan, with 33 points for me, takes down those Seminoles. Yeah, well, I was with you until you said you were in love with the Michigan defense, and then my stomach got a little queasy. But uh, it sure. I think it's, I'm with you, it's in the 30 range for me. I'm almost looking at about 33, 34. Mm-hmm. Florida State's not a mentally tough team. They've shown that in a lot of those games, that they can break when, when the games, when the going gets tough and the game's on the line. There's there's a lot you can look at, but if, to me it boils down to this. Delvin, Delvin Cook's the only chance that Florida State has. If Michigan shuts him down, this could get ugly fast because they're going to be off the field sure. quick, and Michigan's offense can get back. And... It's a motivated, it's an angry, it's a bewildered Harbaugh. You know, he is very, very, Jim Harbaugh is very, very upset with how the Ohio State game went down, missing out on the playoff, and I think he's going to take it out. He's going to go full psychopath mode on this Florida State team, and I think it could be ugly very, very quick. There are very few things in this world that I adore watching more, Mitch, than a completely far-clipped, if you will, Jim Harbaugh. The, the loose cannon. I mean, honestly, it's not as if I have allegiance to Ann Arbor or anything, but just watching from afar, it's incredibly amusing. He never fails to amuse me in that regard. And I'm with you, too, with respect to if Cook really can't get it going, can't kind of give Florida State that advantage in terms of time of possession on the ground, too, Seminoles are in trouble. Because with all due respect to DeAndre Francois, did a great job as a freshman this year, really exceeded my expectations. I simply don't think that he is going to be able to make enough plays on his own against Jabril Peppers and company. That defense too athletic, just too, too determined. Well, now we got to go on January 2nd, the Cotton Bowl. Bradford Bruns here on the Money Mitch Effect, part two of our college football bowl preview. In Arlington, Texas, here it is, the, the Cinderella team, if you will, Western Michigan, getting the New Year's Six automatic bowl bid at 13-0. They take on 10-3 and Wisconsin. Will the glass slipper fit, to borrow a phrase, Bradford, or do you think Wisconsin will handle business like they should in really a game that's probably a lose-lose for the Badgers? I have to say that I simply cannot stray from the power conference here. Give me the Big Ten once more, and I love the story. I love the narrative during this holiday. Row the boat. You know that. 13-0, you know that I love it. I want that arc to be completed, but then you're talking about Wisconsin and the manner in which Wisconsin do finish this season. I'm sorry. You've got the Broncos. The Broncos haven't faced the defense anywhere close, anything close to what the Badgers actually boast. So having said that, though, I'm looking at a very, very tight team. I'm not putting a lot of points on this one whatsoever. But late in the proverbial trenches, I think Wisconsin is just too powerful. I think the ability, the ability that Wisconsin has been able to 
play all season in terms of winning those tight games against athletically superior teams in the Big Ten. It's going to win the day in this instance. And in a game that will be decided, will be decided by less than a touchdown, Badgers will say 11 confidence-wise. So I'm still looking to disagree with you. I can't figure out a way to do it yet, but just to kind of preface this, I'm going Wisconsin big here. This is going to be a big, big, big confidence win. I'm putting about 38 on this one. I just, I don't oh see gosh. it. I don't see Western Michigan. First of all, let's just go back to Wisconsin for a second. This is a lose-lose, in my opinion, because what's going to happen if they win? Oh, you did what you were supposed to do. Congratulations. And if you lose, it's utter disaster. So they're going into this game probably with the least amount of happiness that you could have going into a New Year's Six Bowl game. For Western Michigan, Bradford, I think there are some power, power conference teams that they could beat or be competitive with at the very least. But Wisconsin's a bad matchup because they're big, they're going to punish them on the line, and they're going to control the pace of the game. And I love P.J. Fleck. I want to row the boat with him one of these days, but I, I just don't know that that Western Michigan team, which had its hands full in the MAC championship game against the Ohio Bobcats team that came up short in the Dollar General Bowl, I don't know. I don't know that Wisconsin, they, they every game they've lost this year has been to a good team. They haven't had one of those whiff games. I don't see it happening. I like the Badgers here very comfortably in Texas. Very comfortably, indeed. Wow, 38. I can't quite venture that far up the ladder, my friend, but I'm with you at the end of the day. And I guess in advance of the start of the regular season, back in July, back in August, summer drills prior to the beginning of the actual campaign, perhaps around the country expectations weren't as high for Wisconsin at least. I don't know. To me, it, it, the perception was that it felt like more of a transitional year to come. And here you go. Once again, you look down at January the 2nd, or look ahead, rather, to January the 2nd, and you find the Badgers yet again right there in a New Year's Six Bowl. It's just a perennially great program. And I'll show deference to Western Michigan by saying that it's going to be fairly tight. But, yeah, this Big Ten, this Big Ten locomotive just continues to roll. It does. I guess the one thing to worry about for Wisconsin is the secondary got exposed a little bit in the Penn State game. I just don't know if Western Michigan has enough weapons to do the same. Also on January 2nd, from New Orleans, the Sugar Bowl, Oklahoma versus Auburn. Now, this is a tighter one for me. I'll let you go first, but of all the games, I guess, from here on out, this was the hardest one for me to pick. I'll, I'll tease that a little bit there. How do you see this one playing out? For me, it was not, and that's somewhat interesting insofar as we know about the off-field complications swirling around the Sooners. However, on the field, in terms of from a matchup standpoint, purely matchups, to me, Oklahoma has a decisive edge over Auburn Mitch. And for the Sugar Bowl finale, the finale for January 2nd, that evening, we should say, I like the Tigers' defense. I don't know, though, if Baker Mayfield will be able to be held in check. I'm not even concerning myself right now with what Oklahoma is able to, to do on the ground because I think, first and foremost, the Sooners are going to be, have such a concerted effort, place such a concerted effort on being able to test the Tigers' secondary. And I think Oklahoma wins that battle every day of the week. For me, the tipping point here is that Oklahoma, you know, of course, about the Heisman finalists in Mayfield and Westbrook on the offensive side, but Auburn, Auburn, I should say, is really littered with injuries, not coming into this game at anywhere close to full strength. I think that despite the best efforts of Gus Malzahn's group, I just don't think it's going to be competitive well into the second half. I actually, somewhat begrudgingly, all things considered, will have to go with Boomer Sooner, and I'm going to do so by, believe it or not, 32 confidence points. Whoa, okay. 
Well, yeah. I'm going to be in the 25-26 confidence range, and I am also going Oklahoma, so here we go. Me and Bob Stoops in a big game. God help us. <laughs> We're on team Bob Stoops in a big game. But for me, it was, I agree with you, I think on the field, Oklahoma has some sizable advantages with how Mayfield has been playing, what Westbrook's status is. We expect to see him at his beast self as well. But it goes beyond the off-field stuff, and it goes beyond Stoops in a big game. Oklahoma made their run, Bradford, in the Big 12. We forget, too, early in the season, their non-conference games did not go so well at Houston and Ohio State. So I don't know what if Oklahoma is as good as they've looked recently in conference or if that's just a product of the Big 12. And say what you want about the SEC, but Auburn is, is battle-tested. I worry that if this game is close in New Orleans, pretty much SEC country, that Auburn will be the ones to make the plays down the stretch. I think Oklahoma has to get on top early for them to be successful. No, I truly agree with you there. That is what I anticipate. I think Mayfield makes enough plays early to stretch that defense. If it is tight, though, you're right. I also would side, if I had to make an in-game adjustment, and it is fairly close, all things considered, proximity, coaching edge, perhaps just overall grit and determination along the respective front lines, if it's tight, yes, I reserve the right to switch on back over to the SEC. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'm just going to look at myself as saying I went with Bob Stoops. Why am I such an idiot And when this game goes against my favor? But you got to be optimistic, I guess, going into another New Year's Six game. And then finally, the last non-playoff New Year's Six game, Bradford, the Rose Bowl, the granddaddy of them all. With the playoff picture, the playoff format, you always worry about this game now, the traditional matchup of Big Ten versus Pac-12. If we're even going to get a good game of those matchups, we are this year. This is about as good as it could have been, playoff picture considered. USC versus Penn State. Really excited for this game, as much as any game in bowl season, playoff games included. I think this could be a phenomenal game, and I'll let you get the ball rolling. How do you see this one developing in Pasadena? I agree. I'm very excited about this matchup. I'm excited about the way in which USC was able to finish the regular season. For whatever reason, I guess it goes back to the, the hijinks, the on-field excellence, everything surrounding that program back in the early to mid-2000s. I followed the choices very closely. I went through the Matt Liner, the Reggie Bush years, Wendell White, Pete Carroll throwing assorted dummies off buildings. You know, it was all good. It was all fun. <laughs> yeah. I've, been, I've been hoping for a return to prominence for USC, for the crowd out there in Southern California. But it was fun to watch USC really dominate down the stretch. And USC comes into this game on a roll. But on the flip side as well, you think about Penn State. Penn State will obviously be salty about not having more of a legitimate chance to work itself into the football, the college football playoff scenario there, of course. But when I'm, even though, I have been very, very adamant about repeatedly going with the Big Ten representatives so far in bowl season. To me, the firepower is such for USC, as long as the stage isn't too big, for the freshman quarterback, Sam Darnold, that I will roll with the Trojans. I think it's going to be tight entering the fourth quarter, but because of the discipline, because of the intangibles I really witnessed from the young, young quarterback, this team, Mitch, this team from USC was completely different once he actually took the helm there, took the reins at QB. And I just don't know if Penn State, despite the great season, the great story that was, has enough from a purely athletic standpoint, really. It's a great team. It's a good mm -hmm. defensive squad. But in terms of playmakers, I like the Trojans. I like their advantages there on the outside. 
and I'd like them ultimately to have much more motivation this time around in the Rose Bowl and take this game. The problem with USC over the past few seasons, you always question some of these second and third tier bowl games. Would the motivation, would the inspiration be there for USC? Frequently, that wasn't the case. Here, there's obviously no excuse. Give me USC by 28, actually. Okay, well, I'll start by saying these are probably not named Alabama, the two hottest teams in the country. I think we can kind of agree yeah. on that with how well they played down the stretch. I like USC here. I'm actually slapping on, uh, we'll call it a Larry Bird, 33 confidence picks. I think they're going to win this game pretty handily. All due respect to Penn State, great story. McSorley's quite the signal, signal caller. Barkley running the ball well, and Godwin's, the receiver Godwin's Big Ten Championship game ranks among the best championship game performances I've ever seen. But mm-hmm. USC at, at the Rose Bowl, it's a home game. We, we know the Trojan faithful is going to be all out in full force a second home that they're back to back to playing at. The way they play down the stretch, I think if you polled, and you did poll uh, playoff committee members, USC would be in the playoff if we had to just start from scratch right now. I think they're that good. I think they're a top-five team in the country talent-wise. They're reaching their potential. Donald is playing tremendous football. Uh, Adore Jackson is one of the best prospects, best players at any position in college football. I think defensively, they have enough firepower to tame the Penn State offense, tame those Nittany Lions, and I think ultimately offensively, I think they're going to be able to do whatever they want against Penn State. I like USC here. They're rolling on all, they're clicking on all cylinders. And I just wonder, at Penn State went on that great run, they beat Wisconsin, but do they have enough to keep it going? They didn't get in the playoff. We've seen this happen before, Brad, for the team that just misses out on the playoff, kind of has an underwhelming bowl performance. And I like to study history here and go with the Trojans. That's a very fair question. And as a slight aside, given your home base at present, sir, has there been any sort of a movement or petition for actually moving the Trojans game to Sunday's next fall? <laughs> yeah, well, I think I think the biggest thing you got to look at too with that with that aside, Bradford, is that is Jared Goff right now the third best quarterback in Los Angeles? Oh, <laughs> oh and it's. Probably true. Yeah, I mean, hey, you got Josh Rosen, you got Sam Donald. I don't know. When the Chargers come to town, that's going to be hard for the power rankings, for the for the L.A. football power rankings. Who, <laughs> I don't know. It's uh, I don't know. Niners-Rams was uh, was like watching a car crash. So I, I pity anybody that had to spend Christmas Eve at the Coliseum watching that. But the Trojans look like they're good. And, and there's at least one good football team now in the greater Los Angeles area. Just one. <laughs> All right. Bradford runs on the Money Mitch effect, and it's time now, our College Football Bowl Preview Part 2, to preview the playoff games. And we're going to start with the game that is the matinee, and for all intents and purposes will be the matinee, Alabama number one team in the country taking on Washington in the Peach Bowl. I'm just, there's not going to be a teaser or a spoiler here, I'm just going to come out and say it, Bradford. I'm putting all my confidence points, 41 in fact, on the Crimson Tide. They're the team I'm rolling with. They're the team that had the highest points spread going into this game of any bowl in the entire bowl season at 19 points and still rising. I, I don't think this is going to be close. I think this is going to be bowling shoe ugly, as they say. <laughs> and I wonder, <laughs> I truly wonder how high that number, that deficit, the point spread is actually going to rise <laughs> before Saturday afternoon, Mitch. Right now you talked about it creeping up on 20. For me, I think it's going to settle at around 21, and there's no way that I wouldn't take that number for Alabama to cover. You never bet a 
against the Nick Saban coach team, period. You don't bet against a Nick Saban coach team, a team that has had a month essentially to prepare for the Washington Huskies and the Husky season, as great as it has been, at 12-1, and a dominant performance, no doubt about it, in the Pac-12 championship game against Colorado for that matter too, but it all comes to a screeching halt here. I, like you, put all 41, my highest number of copies <laughs> yeah. on Alabama. So we are, we are matching. I literally I have it locked in on the computer now, down on Papyrus at home, whatever. No, every surface that I can find, I'm putting Alabama 41, Alabama 41 on that. For the Washington faithful, if you're looking for maybe a glimmer of hope, I suppose Jake Browning is, without question, the toughest quarterback that Alabama will have faced this season. But with this defense, with this much talent, with this many first-round picks in next year's draft, you don't bet against Alabama. And the one thing that I do want to see, and this is more of a precursor, Mitch, to the national championship game against either Ohio State or Clemson for me, I want to see how Jalen Hurts handles himself because since October the 15th in particular, he has had some bugaboos when it comes to turnovers. He actually had True. 10 turnovers during that span since October the 15th. And for me, really one of the most scathing things that you look at, potential problem spots for the last couple of games, he has seven fumbles during that time. He has lost seven fumbles. That is the highest number in all of FBS competition. And Washington deceptively carries a very game defense into this contest. Is it as physical as it's ice? No, it is not. However very opportunistic in Washington, actually, of all teams in this field, in the bowl field, has the greatest number of takeaways with 33. So I don't want to overlook that. Nonetheless, yeah, give me Alabama decisively. <laughs> yeah, and it comes down to this for me, too. I, I think Browning's had a great season for Washington. I think Washington's defense, the, the Purple Rain defense, is great. I'm a big Prince fan. They've always had a special spot, a warm and fuzzy place in my heart because of that. Sure. But Browning has not played well down the stretch. Looked very, very pedestrian, to put it mildly, against Colorado in that game. The defensively has shown that they've had some flaws. Alabama will expose those flaws. I thought it was really, uh, really cute when the Washington fans were chanting, we want Bama after the Pac-12 title game. Well, you got them. Well, you got them. We'll see what happens here. I just think, for, for Alabama's sake, what they can do defensively, is going to neutralize everything Washington can do. They want to spread it out. They want to just constantly be throwing the ball. Alabama's got the best pass rush I've seen. Maybe maybe I've seen in my life. I, I don't know. It, it's up there. And I think they're going to just torment Washington and eventually milk the clock and, and just start rolling on offense. They're, they're to me, too, Bradford. Is it Bradford. Saban's best? I'm, I'm sorry, the, yeah. the front four. The, it, would you consider it to be Saban's best group collectively? Maybe not the the grand number of individual standouts at the next level, but do you think it is the best that it's passed through cohesively all the way around that Saban's actually had in Tuscaloosa? Absolutely. I, I think so. I think this is his best team, top to bottom. I think Hertz is maybe not the best quarterback. He might end up being the best college quarterback he's had, but I think this, def- this defense is as good as any squad that he's had, five-star recruits up and down the board. And, Bradford, I'll pose you this question. I don't know what you would see to think at some point in the game that Washington has a chance to win, even if it's close early. Because Bama's been close with teams early, and they blow them out in the second half. I think we have to get into the fourth quarter for me to have any any reservations about the ultimate victory that Alabama's going to have. No, and the physicality for me, Mitch, is what really sets it apart, because you can talk about the different playmakers on both sides, and Washington obviously has a shortage of those. However, when you go up against an Alabama team, and granted, yeah, there's been a lot of time, 
between this contest, or there's going to be a lot of time between this contest and the last tilt for both of these programs, but they grind you to such a degree because they are bigger than you, they're stronger than you, they are built on winning in those trenches on both sides of the line, and to me, despite what the Huskies are able to bring on the front four, it can be a very effective group. We know that it's an opportunity season, that it likes to force you to turn the ball over, but from a power standpoint, Alabama is always so effective when it needs those necessary ugly yards that even if you hang for a half, even if you hang for three quarters, sooner or later that cumulative effect is going to take its toll. And for me, it's going to be very, very similar. The script is going to be very similar to what we've seen for the bulk of this season, what we've seen from the last couple of years from Alabama. Yet I don't think that at any point the Tide fans are going to be sweating. I just don't. Hurts makes enough plays. And Mm -hmm. still, that power-based approach for me up front, that is the difference. That's going to be the difference here. That very well could be the difference in the national title game. Yeah, well, you know, it's just Nick Saban again. The guy has the program that everybody wants. Yeah. He's now got former former players running his scout team. Uh, he's just one step ahead of what everybody's trying to do, and it's uh, it's all it's sad for any other fans, but it's just ultimately impressive what the Crimson Tide are. I think they're going to win handily and get a spot in the college football championship game where they would take on the winner of a very very big contest. The other semifinal that evening, the Fiesta Bowl from Glendale, Arizona. Number two, Clemson. Number three, Ohio State. Each team with one loss on the season. This is a tight one. Clemson, Ohio State. I think the fair, a fair and even matched up. Ohio State a slight favorite from Glendale where they've made a second home for the Buckeyes fans. But Bradford, what's the key in this game for these teams? What does each team have to do to ultimately come out on top and go to the finals? You've got two teams, Mitch, that aren't necessarily, I would say, mirror images of each other, but still, you've got hungry, young defenses that are, at times, prone to mistakes, but those veteran, accomplished QBs, too. Deshaun Watson obviously gets all of the superlatives for what he has done over the course of the last couple of seasons. In a lot of different statistical categories, he blows one J.T. Barrett out of the water. But I really like Barrett. I told you this all season long. I love his resolve. I like the determination and how he will buckle down when it matters most specifically in the second half of games. And if you really, if you ever had a question about whether in any sort of a tense environment, J.T. Barrett could singularly put a team on his shoulders and be able to lead them in a clutch situation, well, for look back, no doubt about it, just a few weeks ago to that Michigan game. And in crunch time, I have no qualms whatsoever about Barrett's ability to execute. Now, if you're talking about a truly transcendent player, though, and somebody who has the ability to beat you in a different number of ways, in a greater number of ways, that would be Deshaun Watson. On the sidelines, too, Swinney versus Myers, it is such a, I won't say toss-up, because due to veteran expertise there, I'll give Myers a slight edge as well. But, Mitch, when you break down all of the different categories in this team, all the different departments, it's so close in just a stunning number of those categories. And for me, it's not quite a flip of the coin sort of game, but I'm very, very torn about the number of points I'm going to put on the victor in this contest. I have to do it simply because I went too low with a lot of my numbers. So my number is 19, and I know this is it, it's so rude. My hope to, my hope was to plunge the dagger in my host like this from the great state of Ohio, but begrudgingly, I know, begrudgingly, Clemson in a field goal game, I'm thinking along the lines, honestly, honestly, about 40 to 37. This is 
an absolute thriller. Got to go with Clemson. Got to go with Clemson to go back. It's an interesting matchup for a lot of reasons. Stylistically, they are close, but not exactly mirror images of each other. Both teams have revenge on their mind. Yeah. Clemson wants to get back to the title game, wants to get another chance, frankly, at Alabama and win the national title. Ohio State, you know, they lost to uh, Clemson a couple years ago in the Orange Bowl, and Urban Meyer doesn't like to forget who beat him. This is also a Buckeye team oh. that last year, wanted to be in the playoff, lost to Michigan State, was missing out. So they want to get back to where they think they belong. As far as the Meyer versus Dabo Sweeney debate, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll try to get all my biases on the table. I think Sweeney is one heck of a recruiter and has a knack for finding athletes that can make a difference in his system. But to me, I don't think it's that quite that close between in-game coaching. I think that's a, that's a testament to what Meyer's been able to do, the adjustments he's been able to make. And quite frankly... I think you, you'd agree with this as well. Sweeney's made some mistakes in some games uh, from a tactical standpoint that I think might, they might have gotten away with. You know, NC State, they were able to dodge a bullet. Florida State and Auburn at the end of that game, week one, they might not have looked uh, ideally you know, in that position to where they're playing an efficient game. I don't think you can make those mistakes against an Urban Meyer coach Ohio State team. What worries me is no, an no, Ohio... For, yeah, I was going to say... Verbally what, what, accost the punter and you move on. <laughs> yeah, you just you throw them under the bus, you say you went rogue, and, and you move on. What worries me for an Ohio State fan is Clemson is so athletic. Watson is he's going to be motivated that he didn't win the Heisman. And Clemson offensively can really spread the ball out. As good as Ohio State's secondary is, I think Watson's a smart enough quarterback to where he's going to just take what the defense gives him. Now for Clemson to win this game, Bradford, they got to get their running game going. They can't have a game where Watson throws the ball 70 times against this Ohio State defense. I think we're on the same page there. And yet, at the same time, I wonder, Mitch, if the key to this game isn't actually we, we talk so much about the exploits of Barrett, but rather can Ohio State be able to keep the ball long enough on the ground itself to keep that pigskin in turn out of the hands of Watson for long enough? Because we talked about Clemson's need as well to establish the ground game, and yet if I am Clemson, I know that it's absolutely necessary putting the ball in the hands of Watson and expecting him to maybe throw it upwards of 50, even 60 times. I would take my chances if I would have to do that. For the Buckeyes, I do, I wonder, because there are some, there are some gaps, there, there are some different weaknesses you, you can exploit if you're looking at the opposing Clemson defense there. But your confidence level, not confidence points here, but just generally speaking about OSU's ability to hammer it out on the ground and not put everything in the body of one Barrett? It comes down to the line. I mean, they got overmatched and overpowered by Michigan. And if they're not running the ball well, it's going to be tough sledding. Now, here's one caveat I'll say. Clemson's defense has looked great at times, has looked poor at times, very inconsistent during large stretches of the season. They have to get pressure, especially when Barrett's throwing and running the read option. Because if they can get pressure on Ohio State, if they can break through that line, as much of a fan as I am, I think Clemson wins that game somewhat handily. That, to me, is the you know, underrated aspect of this game. Everyone's going to look at Deshaun Watson versus the Buckeye defense and those great names in the secondary. But can that Clemson interior, can that front seven, break through that Ohio State offensive line and make Barrett's life pretty miserable? To me, that's where I think the game will be decided. In any event, it's going to be an incredibly interesting New Year's for you. So it's be a fly on the wall in the Michaels residence. 
it's going to be, <laughs> well, well, I'll just say this. There, there's going to be two distinct different types of moods when the ball drops at midnight. There, there's two ways this could go. I'll just, I'll put it mildly and, and conservative when I say that. But in all seriousness, 26 confidence points on the Buckeyes. I think they will this one out. I think Meyer is able to push just the right buttons to win this game. And I'll be, I'll be frank here. This might be more, even as an Ohio State supporter like myself, this might be more of me just trying to validate my claim that I never thought Clemson was as good as they were last year. I think they could have lost three, maybe even four games this year. And I think this is where they've had nine lives this year. I think their, their cat lives run out. I like the Buckeyes to go to the final. Hey, you're rolling with your heart, but at the same time, there is a very logical, uh, logical explanation for rolling with the Buckeyes in this instance. It wouldn't surprise me one way or the other, and one way or the other, hey, our one-on-one competition, mano a mano, is going to boil down to Saturday night. It is. That, that's going to be the tipping point, one way or the other. It will. In Ohio State, because we were still remarkably similar with most of the selections this time around. Right, but, you know, and I also don't put it past me, and I wouldn't pass, put it past you to make a change on something we agree on just because there's confidence points that we could make up and win. So I, as honest and upstanding as we are, I think we'll both go against our, our logic and our word to win the, competi- to win the competition. Yes, reserve the right. We're at heart, we're competitors, first yeah. and foremost. Well, Bradford, thanks for joining the show. We've made it through all of the bowl previews. It was a, a lengthy discussion, but one that I think our listeners definitely needed to have in their lives. And after that, it'll be the playoff, the championship game, Alabama versus Clemson, Alabama versus Ohio State. I think we can't lose if that's the option, the end-all, be-all for college football. Hey, love it. Let's turn this into an annual staple and have a very, very happy new year, regardless of the outcome on the gridiron, my friend. That's definitely easier said than done, but I appreciate the well wishes. Thanks again, Brad, for, for joining the Money Mitch Effect. You got it. Thanks again to Bradford for coming on the Money Mitch Effect to discuss college football. In two separate instances, he took a great deal of time to summarize what was going on, make some picks with me. Appreciate him. He's a very good friend. And he's welcome anytime on this show to discuss anything in the college ranks, football especially. All right, now it's time to talk to C.J. Deer, an NFL professional. He is a guy that I look to for advice in these big, big moments. Week 17, NFL action. We'll talk Packers-Lions, how the Raiders can overcome Derek Carr's injury, if that's even possible, and who still has a lot to play for this week, Redskins, Dolphins, you name it. Some big games this week, and our MVP thoughts as well. You're not going to want to miss that. Here he is now, CJ Deer on the Money Mitch Effect. All right, so now joining the show, the Money Mitch Effect, returning guests. This time we're going to do this via Skype as we get ready to look into 2017. CJ Deer joining the show to preview Week 17, the final week of the regular season. CJ, thanks for coming back. Thank you for having me. I can't believe it's already Week 17. Yeah, man, it's it's really flown by, and I can't believe as many times we've been doing this, we're finally at the final week of the season. And oddly enough, CJ, Week 16. A lot of questions were answered. We weren't sure how much was, really was, you know, how much was to be decided going into Week 17. But here we are with just a couple of spots up for grabs after a pretty, uh, a pretty big Week 16. 
I think you and I know what the big game of the week is, and that's Green Bay and Detroit. But we'll get to that in a second. But we're going to still do our competition. We're still going to you know, do our picks this week. And then we're going to spend as much time on the important games as we need to. We'll start with lock of the week. So week 17, final regular season week, CJ. Who's the one team that you think definitely wins? Uh, the team that I'm going to pick that's definitely going to win is the Cowboys. I just feel like they're a young team, and since they're going to have that first round by week 17, they're going to go into um, Philadelphia and, and play them the exact same way they played in week 16. They're going to come out, continue to put points on the board. The defense is going to have turnovers. And then that's just going to get them ready for the playoffs. So I'm going with the Cowboys over the Eagles. This is, CJ, this is a very interesting pick, and I want to dive deep into this for a couple reasons. You have a Cowboys team that, unbelievable, 13-2 and on the season. They've locked everything up. They're the one seed, which is why the Eagles at 6-9 and nine are ranked, are actually five-point favorites in this game. Now, that being said, I don't know that Dallas, it's not going to suit Dallas that well to sit everybody with the bye week coming up, which is why I'm actually, and they won't. Yeah, I'm actually kind of liking your pick because I think Dak's going to play, Zeke's going to play. You can't rest mm-hmm. those guys the whole game. You know, it'd be like sitting for a month no. almost. And they're too yeah. young. Yeah, right. And you know what happened the last time the Cowboys had that um, first round bye? They came in and they lost the um, next round, so... Yeah. This is something that the coaches the coaches remember. And then like like I said, it's a young team, so they need to just stay high, stay rolling. Because you do not want to go into the playoffs with a loss. No. Coming off a loss. Especially in the bye two. That's just a, a a formula for not success. Absolutely, CJ. And I think the other thing that makes this interesting too, I guess the one thing I would worry about in your case is that the Eagles aren't playing for their draft pick. They traded that pick to Cleveland. So they're not a team that mm-hmm. if they lose, it, it actually helps them like a lot of poor teams are going to be doing down the stretch. I think Dallas is going to win this yeah. game. I do think it'll be closer. But as far as locks go in a weird week 17, I think that's a pretty solid pick. Uh, I, I really do. Yeah, I just want to keep it playoff. playoff. <laughs> and then a lot of people are um, asking um, where they should they start or so. Yeah. And Mark Sanchez, I feel like he's going to come in and do a great job. And then Darren McFadden, you know he rushed for over 1,000 yards last year. So, so I got an interesting... I think they got some pretty solid yeah. backs. So. so I got an interesting one, CJ, for lock of the week. And it's another game uh-huh. that I want to discuss with you. My lock of the week is Redskins over Giants. And I'll, okay. ex- I'll, ex- I like that. I'll explain it to you from two perspectives. One team, Washington, has everything to play for. A win, and as long as the Lions and Packers don't tie, they're in the playoffs. A loss, and, you know, they're out. So you look at it that way. The Giants are the five seed. They can't go any higher or any lower. I don't know what what they're going to look like. They're coming off of a pretty poor performance against the Eagles. I think Redskins are just going to want it more, and I think the Giants are going to start to sub some guys out and not really show their hand. And this is a team too, CJ. The Giants are looking to get JPP back, hopefully for the playoffs, and they just want to get through healthy, unscathed. I think the Red Sox are going to be going for it. Redskins, excuse me. I don't know what I'm, I'm talking baseball now. I'm losing my mind. Red <laughs> Sox. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We're going to leave that in there. I'm not editing that. We're going to keep that in there. But that's what I think. Yes. No, but I, I agree. I mean, I, I'm rooting for the Redskins, 
And I feel like if the Giants lose back-to-back weeks, they are definitely going to lose that first round. So I'm, if I'm the Giants, I'm not resting any of my starters. I'm a firm believer that you want to go into the playoffs red hot. You need to, to continue to carry that momentum from the regular season to the playoffs because it helps build that confidence. The players got their swagger. I mean, because I feel like the Giants is a swagger team led by Odell. Because once they feeling good, because you know what Odell and his emotions, I feel like that could trickle down to the team. Because if they lose, you know we could be expecting a rent like he had last week. Yeah. And that's just not the um, the vibe you want in your locker room going into the playoffs. So, I mean, I, I could definitely, that's a great um, pick, a lot for the Redskins. But if I'm the Giants, I hope they don't stick any of their starters. Right, and that's a good point when talking about Odell Beckham Jr. He is all emotions, which is great when they're doing well. They have that swagger, that confidence. But he does kind of act a little immature when things aren't going their way, and that does trickle down. Here's what I'll say without forecasting the playoffs, CJ. If they get the five seed, lose two games in a row, and play a streaking Green Bay team, I think it's a good night in New York. <laughs> so, oh, so you're already saying, you're saying Green Bay going to be the line, so I We're going to... <laughs> I know, I, I, I spoiled it. I feel like I ruined the movie for everybody. But we're going to get to that game in a second. But, yeah, that's kind of where I'm leaning. But, all right, C.J. Deer on the money, yeah, Mitch Effect. I, I, but to be this mistake before. We've said the Giants can't do anything and they've won two Super Bowls so I'm, I'm just saying No, but this... they had a defense. They had a defense in a running game. Oh yeah. They had a defense that's... in a running game. Yeah, that's true. Um, they, all right. they had a D-line. <laughs> they had a D-line and a, a, yeah. run, a running back that could milk the clock. Yeah, I like this. just made a couple of um, plays. Hey, you know what? I do like the secondary. Yeah, I want to believe in them but I can't. I like the secondary. I like Landon Collins and uh, Janoris Jenkins. Putting the clamps on people. Hey, you know, Jacobs, look, people just now realize it about Jacobs. I already knew about him coming out My, of St. Louis. I knew this was coming. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was waiting. I was just, I was kind of baiting you there by bringing up Jenkins. But, <laughs> <laughs> but all right. Yeah, I, know, I knew what we were going to make with you. <laughs> all right, TJ Deer on the Money Mitch Effect. And now it's time to bring up our games that we think are going to be a little closer than the experts think. I've done a pretty bad job at this game for uh, this section of the picks the last couple weeks. So, Let's see. What do you got going strong, CJ? Game closer than we think. A game that's going to be closer than we think. I'm going to go with New England, Miami. Oh. I don't know. Do you think that's a good? Uh, because well, he, he, I honestly feel like, I mean, with Miami coming in, getting that play, locking that playoff spot last week, Jay Ajayi coming off a three, three 200-yard performances in a regular season. So they have the running game. I like Matt Moore. Because even the coaches said from an insider scoop that I heard that Matt Moore has a better deep ball than Ryan Tannehill mm-hmm. because he's a little more accurate with his deep ball. Then you got Kenny Steele um, taking off the top of the defense. Then you got um, Jarvis Landry in the middle, like the mid-range, part, uh, occupying the mid-range of the field. I love that offense. And then Cameron Wake is a dog. You know, Sue is balling that deep line. Um, all of that money they invested into it. So, and like I honestly feel like the Patriots have been in this position before. I could see them kind of 
kind of rest in their starters. I mean, I know it's a divisional game, and Belichick said that he's not going to rest it, but the mindset they're going to have, I just feel like it's going to be a close game, and I'm also waiting for the Dolphins to get that win. Well, I think, too, CJ, the interesting part about this pick is that this is probably the second most important game this weekend because this is the only game other than Green Bay and Detroit where both teams are technically playing for something. New England has not clinched the one seed, an Oakland loss, and they do, but otherwise, you know, they haven't clinched it. And the Dolphins, you're right, if they win, they can move all the way up to the five seed depending on what happens with Kansas City, San Diego. So while it's not likely that those things change, I think Miami's going to want to come in, and they do have the pieces to do it. I actually I actually like this pick, because I think New England's going to have one foot in, one foot out this game. I think they're going to think about resting, but they're not going to be fully committed to taking everybody out. And it's all about Ajay. You know, you wonder, Ajay, you wonder with him, CJ, about his health. Because as great as he's been, he has been banged up in his career. And he was a little banged up at the end in overtime, uh, at the end of regulation in overtime in that ball, Buffalo game. But... Hey, you know what? I'm with you on the defense. I think they're they're a highly paid team that's starting to come around. Gase is doing a good job yeah, yeah. with his personnel on both sides of the ball. And yeah, Sue and Sue and Wake, that's a that's a tough combination. I thought Bryce Petty was dead. I know you did too when he took that hit a couple weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean they they really they yeah, they squished him like a little sandwich. <laughs> so that's a good one. Well I guess right. it's it's my turn now to pick a game that I think is going to be closer than the experts think. And I'm going to say, CJ, in the spirit of, I know what we're doing, we're, keep, we're, we're making our picks based on games that actually still have playoff you know, ramifications, <laughs> so we're not talking about meaningless games. It's a nice little trick that we're pulling. I'm going to say Atlanta, I'm going to say Atlanta-New Orleans is going to be a pretty close game. Uh, like not that, that New like Orleans that is going to win. And I know Atlanta is playing for the two seed, and if they win, they're going to get it. But New Orleans is a dangerous team. Breeze is still throwing a good deep ball. The defense, while not great, is mediocre. And this is a, a, a rivalry game, plain and simple. Now, I really like what Atlanta's doing. They know each other. Yeah, I, know, I like what Atlanta's doing. I think they're going to win this game. But don't be surprised if this game is close going into the fourth quarter and New Orleans brings it on the road. They, they love playing spoiler even when they're not in it. And I honestly could see New Orleans upset. I mean, you know, people, a lot of people are riding high on the Falcons as they should be. I believe they're the only offense to average 30-plus points and over 400 yards of offense. But what I would like to say is that they have a – I mean, they rode. It's been pretty smooth. They've been pretty easy. Not a lot of bumps. You know, the last three weeks they played the Rams, the 49ers, and then a struggling Panthers team. Yeah. So – like they did then when they placed the Chiefs, I know that was a, a, a heartbreaking loss. But like I said, I, I, I definitely I'm, I'm I'm happy for the Falcons because you know they normally start high and then start cooling off later down the season, but they've been able to keep that momentum dropping all year long and without Julio Jones the last couple of weeks. But I'm not a, a firm believer in that defense, and I agree with you with Drew Brees. He's coming off a, a, a great game last week. It's a divisional game. It's week 17. They fighting to keep Sean Payton down there in the water. So they all plan for something. Yeah, uh, I, I think, too, with Atlanta's uh, road to the playoff picture, to the two seed, well, those are all great points. I also look at the Kansas City game was a nail-biter. Could have gone either way. Mm-hmm. And then they... I mean, for all intents and purposes, CJ, they got screwed by the officials in Seattle. I mean, I'm happy that Seattle lost oh, yeah. another game because think about it. If they wouldn't have lost last week the Seahawks or the Cardinals, 
the two seed would have been decided on a non-pass interference call that I think gets called in any other building uh, across the uh, United States. So while I, I think I, I think it could have gone either way, I think they have put themselves in a position. They've got some breaks, what a lot of good teams do. And I think Atlanta's, you know, the NFC playoff picture is wide open, and I say that because we're still not sure about two rookies in, in any team being able to go the distance. It just hasn't happened before. It's a whole different. So why can't the you know you know why can't the Falcons be in the mix? I think they got as good a chance as I anyone. I can see that. So. I mean, and then uh, to be honest though, the, the losses that they did have this season, I'm just looking at their schedule right now. The the biggest um, margin for loss was Week Ten against the Eagles, but all the other games are like three points or less. Yeah. So no, I did Week One against the Bucks, but it's not like they they've been blown out this season. So. I might have to, you know, like I said, that would be nice to see the Falcons go yeah. far in the playoffs. And they really can. And they beat a healthy Raiders team week, too. I think a lot of people forget about that game as well before the Raiders yeah. were what they were up until the injury of Carr. But all right, so CJ yeah, Deere. Yeah, week two. Yeah. <laughs> week two. CJ Deere on the Money Mitch Effect. And now it's time to talk upset pick. Week 17 upset. Who are you going with to shock some people in the final week? Of the season. Hey, so you already played spoiler and said that you got some Packers. Oh, no. <laughs> so I'm going on the opposite end and I'm going with the Lions. <laughs> upsetting the Packers. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm gl- I, I, I mean, <laughs> no, it would be an upset. And for people out there really that, you know, be. that don't really understand how this game works, I mean, this is all relative upsets to. You know who the favorites are, both betting wise and by experts. And I know CJ that the experts are all on Green Bay, even though the game is in Detroit. Green Bay is a three and a half point favorite on the road. And we can discuss this here. And, and my first thing, and I'll let you talk about why you think Detroit can win this game. But to me, it comes down to can Stafford throw the ball the way he threw the ball earlier in the season? Because he's been a little bit off, and with how bad their defense has played. They're going to need peak Stafford if they want to win this game. And, and to be honest, when I was watching them against the Cowboys, like in the first first half, like he was going, driving up and down the field against that Cowboys defense. For sure. Then, like they just, the defense started making plays at the end. But the reason that I'm going with the Lions over Detroit, I just, I, I believe, I just believe. <laughs> no, it's. <laughs> I don't even have any true He's going to put it all out on the field on Sunday. 
and he knows everything is riding on this game. So the Lions are going to come out, go to take, is going to make a big play. Okay. Well, I think, too, and just a side note, we referenced Green Bay last week, how Hit Rodgers and Nelson looked. They were aided by uh, a couple rogue Minnesota Vikings defenders, which I had never seen before, so that's cool that they just didn't want to listen to their yeah. coaches in the biggest game of the season. But now we're getting... Well, yeah, I, just, I was looking at that just real quick. Yeah. I hope I don't mess you up too yeah, much. But just good. going on that, like with them going rogue, it's like Xavier Rowe was putting a whole offense on situation because you got a veteran saying, no, uh, and, like, mm-hmm. you don't want to, you know, go against a veteran, but then you also have a head coach. So that is a, a yeah. weird situation. You know, I've heard of instances, even when I play, like, if you're on the field, you're like, oh, coach, I think this will play better. But I never heard of a, um, a defense just going rogue. Like, this was the game plan all week. Then the day of the game, you just change it, like the whole game plan. So that, is, that was an interesting uh, situation. Well, it made me think a little bit, too, uh, with the Packers running. And I, I'm on Green Bay's train here, 4-6 and six to now 9-6, and six playing for the division. But, CJ, when I look at this game from Detroit, it, their defense, to me, has been perennially bad all season. I think Stafford covered up a lot of holes in that team. Efficiency-wise, they're in the bottom, I think, five or six teams in the league. And the running game, while they got something out of Zach Zenner last week, if they're not running the football, if they're not stopping anybody, what more can Stafford do? And I say that in the sense that he played well against the, the Cowboys. The Cowboys made some plays. He came down back to earth a little bit. But they're asking a lot of this guy to play against Aaron Rodgers at, at his apex for division title in the final game of the season. I'm just, I'm going to take the sure thing. I'm going to take the guy who's done it before. I'm going to take the team that's finally figured it out, that's coming in with momentum, Versus the team that's lost two straight and is suddenly looking like the team everybody thought they were going to be. Because, CJ, they won all those close games early in the year. It's a tremendous accomplishment, but I think that spoke to what we all thought, that eventually they that luck would run out, and I think we're getting to that point. And then, but also, we also have to put into consideration that Darius Slay was out last week against the Cowboys, and True. he's an integral part of that defense. Um, so, I feel like it looks he practiced today, and um, so if he plays on Sunday, he'll go against Jordy Nelson. So I mean, I, I, like I said, I, I think the, the Lions can pull it off. They you know what I'll say? I believe. Yeah, I know you believe. You're you're on board, and you'll be the one laughing the the loudest if they pull it off. But <laughs> I'll say this too: the Packers secondary is still not very good. But what changed in the Thanks, last couple man. weeks is Clay Matthews healthy. Their edge rushers are back to playing. Uh, good high-level football. If they get pressure on Stafford, it's it's an entirely different game. But if the Detroit offensive line is able to pick up the blocks and pick up the blitzes, Stafford can carve up this defense. I firmly believe that. So I'm excited. It's going to come back. It's going to yeah, it's, yeah, it's be a great game. It's going to come down to the quarterback play, though. And how about the how about That's the idea too? Run. You know, how about the idea too, CJ? I'm really hoping the Redskins win because I want this game to be an all-or-nothing game. I think if the Redskins mm-hmm. lose and they're just playing for positioning. It could change, you know, everything when a team knows they have a playoff spot locked up. But how about the idea, too, that there could be a tie that puts both teams in and screws the Redskins? My goodness. Yeah. I don't want to even think about that. <laughs> not, a game of, not a game of kneel downs or, you know, <laughs> anything like that. Yeah, we don't want to see that. We want to see competitive football. But, all right, well, I'll give, my, right. I'll give my upset pick on the Money Mitch effect, and I'm going to finish it off 
by keeping it playoff relative. Are you ready for this one, CJ? I'm going Broncos over Raiders this week. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> look, I knew look, you were going to say that. I, I, feel, I feel so bad for Raider Nation. The black hole gets all my sympathy right now. But even with Denver in a free fall, even with a team of upset players and just devastated you know, fans, I think, Den- I, I think that team goes into Oakland pissed off, doesn't want to end the season just on a terrible note, and they beat up Matt McGloin, and they get through that offensive line, and they make plays. I just I don't think McGloin's going to be the answer. I think the Raiders are going to lose and drop down to the five seed, and the Chiefs are going to move up to that two seed with a win over San Diego. It's my pick. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I know. You're thinking about it. You're, you're, you're thinking That's about it. You're thinking about I like it, though. It's, I like it. I'm not a, uh, a fan of Matt McGloin. I, I don't think. And, I, and it's, it's, it just saddens me because I want to see everybody healthy mm-hmm. playing at their full strength in the playoffs. Like, that just is devastating because Carter turned his franchise around. He Got did. everybody believing in this young Raiders team. And, you know, I'm not going to knock Del Rio because I do feel like he still should have stayed in the game because – um, the Colts could have came back and won the game. Right. But for him to go down on that injury, I mean, on that sack, is just that's that's depressing. But like, and I and I can see the Broncos, like you said, because you know they got a lot of um, the the you know reports coming out of locker room. The offense, I mean, the defense is against the offense, saying that you know they're not holding up the end of the bargain. And like you said, they're going to go and piss off Trevor Simeon trying to show, like, look, that was just a fluky game. We could, uh, we could still uh, we want to go into the offseason with a win. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then that way, so, so going into the next season, you will be ready. Right. And you got to factor in, too, Simeon's competing for a job. He wants to play well here. And Paxton Lynch is going to get some time. He wants to play well uh, also. And the, and the Raider defense was not invincible all season. This was the worst-case injury. I, I can, you could argue that at any position in football, at any quarterback in football, Carr means the most to his team because they're a team that doesn't have a good defense, that doesn't really run the ball as consistent as you would like, and needed to air it out. And without him, I just don't know how you recover from it. Uh, I think, too, it's interesting, CJ. The Chiefs, everyone's on board. This is a dangerous team. The Raiders, even if they win this game, Everybody's going to think, myself included, that this is one-and-done potential, clearly. So, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it would be a great accomplishment. And they need to win. Yeah, like you said, they need to win to get that first-round by. But if they do lose, I think they might end up facing the Texans in a wild-fall round. Oh, God. I would go with the Raiders <laughs> over the Texans. <laughs> Jesus. If it's Raiders-Texans, man, they are really so testing. So, what would you rather do? If you was in that situation, <laughs> would you want to lose this week and face the Texans? Wild card round, or do you want to have that um, uh, first round bye and then play what Steelers? Maybe the Steelers, the Chiefs. I mean, next. you know, you, you got to just take the free win. I mean, wins are too hard, especially when you have a backup quarterback in there. I'm just looking at it as a fan's perspective. Texans Raiders, it just looks like a god awful game, and Texans Chiefs, <laughs> Texans Chiefs. CJ, we talked about it. They could either they could just show the game from last year. They could just, you know, right. <laughs> try to try to roll out everything because I see the same result happening if that's the case. But look, it, it sucks. It's an awful situation, uh, certainly. But we'll see what happens, man. There's uh, there's only one week left. 
And I just wanted to do kind of a flyby for some of the other games, CJ, on the Money Mitch Effect talk with CJ Deer. Uh, a couple other games. I think we both expect the Seahawks to handle business and beat the Niners this week. Uh, just, you know what? Yeah, they should, but I'm not a believer. I'm not a believer in the Seahawks this season. And, I, and I've been on that train the last couple of playoff runs that they've had. But I, I, I think the injury to Earl Thomas and that offensive line, I really um, protected Russell Wilson like they should. And then with even the injury to Lockett, I mean, I know a lot of people, you know, they didn't really have a strong receiving core already. And then just by losing him, that's going to affect them tremendously. Well, too many um, injuries, man. You, you hit the nail on the head. Yeah, too many Both sides of the ball, Earl Thomas is one thing, obviously, but... How many X factors do they have now with Lockett and now CJ and now Lockett before CJ Procise out? Doug Baldwin's playing amazing. Russell's playing amazing, but you know they had a chance to lock up the two seed by winning a couple of divisional matchups, and they couldn't get it done. I'm not sure. You know, if it's Seahawks Redskins, CJ, I might like Washington's chances in that one. As crazy as that sounds, me too. Because the Seahawks, not I mean that Washington offense is explosive. Mm-hmm. But, and then, you know, hopefully Jordan, Jordan Reed will be healthy by that time. And then you got Deshaun Jackson going over the top, Pierre, uh, Pierre Garçon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then you got Fat Rob in the back. So. <laughs> well, Fat Rob, yeah. Uh, I think that's going to be an interesting matchup if it happens. Although, look, if the Niners win, that clinches the number one pick for the Browns, who were able to avoid 0-16 and, and still... <laughs> <laughs> hey, shout out to the Browns, boy. In the, um, in the newsroom at the NFL Network, everybody exploded. Everyone was excited, cheering for the Browns on their first W of the season. Just, it was just like they won the Super Bowl or something. And it was great to see the, the, the Niners beat the Rams, so the one pick is still theirs. It was uh, a remarkable day for Browns fans who are still, definitely I think we can all agree, they're still going to lose to Pittsburgh with all three players out with Ben, Brown, and Bell. <laughs> Uh, I don't think so. Oh, man. I hope they, I mean, I'm not saying, I always hope they beat the Steelers, but that's, you know, they would lose the one the one pick in the draft by doing it. Hey, we got we to gotta just see what happens. I don't know. I mean, maybe the Steelers are trying to, to screw the Browns out of the one pick. I don't know what the mind, mind games are, <laughs> are there. But all right, CJ, before I let you go, because that's pretty much going to do the, uh, the meaningful game picks this week, I want to end the show with one question, one question only. Who do you think is going to win the NFL MVP award this year? I can't remember a time when it's been this tough to decide going into week 17. But if you had to pick one person, who would it be? Matt Ryan. Ooh, all right. No, new blood into this. He's in, he's in the discussion for Matt me, Ryan. and I think that's a good pick. Matt Ryan. I just feel like, I mean, it always goes down to the offensive player. It always goes down to the quarterback. He's been playing lights out. Last week, last week was interesting. It, unfortunately, Derek Carr was eliminated from consideration due to the injury. I think, uh, I, I think if a, a sleeper, a deep sleeper, that's not going to win, but has had a great season, is a guy David Johnson, whose all-purpose yards Yo, is amazing. Yes, over hundred plus semi yards in every game this season. <laughs> gotta give him, gotta give him respect for what he's done. Yes, Bra- that's a good one. 
I agree, really and I agree with you on Brady. I think Brady just hasn't done enough. He's had a great year, but he missed four games. Mm-hmm. And he hasn't done enough to separate right. himself from the field with those four games. And honestly, too, CJ, I'm kind of going process of elimination. I don't think Zeke or any Cowboy Dak, for the matter, no. is going to win it. I think unless Zeke goes for about 180 this week and breaks Eric Dickerson's. I don't even think he still gets it, though, to yeah. be honest. So you know what that makes me? That makes me going with the guy that I'm picking to win the NFC North this week. He's leading the league still in passing touchdowns. I think he has to win. He has to have a good game, but I think that's definitely in play. If he doesn't, though, CJ, if he if the Packers lose or even if they win and he has a subpar game and the Falcons win, Ryan Beast this week, they get the two seed, I, I would agree with you then. I think that's my number two right oh, now, man. as crazy as that sounds. I'd probably at this moment go... Rodgers, Ryan, Zeke, and then Brady fourth going into week 17, where who knows what could happen. I, I have, now that you said it, I would have um, Johnson over Zeke. Ooh, okay, well. Because it's been quiet. <laughs> yeah, it's been a quiet, like you said, like no one is really um, recognizing the greatness that he's um, um, showing this season, or that he showed this season. Yeah. I mean, he's been doing it quietly, so I'm looking like a, a, a big old Marshall Park. Oh yeah. The team's been had a poor season, but I think that's going to keep him from winning the award. They like to give it to players that have had team success. I'm going to say it's going to be Aaron Rodgers, but we have a very, very interesting week to kind of determine what's going to happen. That's the beauty of this sport. We don't know until the awards are handed out. Well, CJ, thanks for joining the show. I can't believe we made it through 17 weeks of the season. It's been quite the journey. I can't believe it either. It went, it went by super fast, but it's been fun. It started off slow, but it's ended with a bang. So I'm excited for this weekend game and get these playoffs going. Well, without spoiling anything, I'm going to be, you know, this show, we're going to be doing something interesting for playoffs. There's not going to be as many games to talk about. You're going to be definitely in the fold for that. And, yeah, I mean, I think it's I'm excited. All right, CJ. Thanks again for joining the Money Mitch Effect. Really appreciate any time you come on. All right. Thank you for having me. Huge thanks to both Bradford Bruns and CJ Deer for coming on the show, talking football with me. They are great friends and great people to have in these expert, expert times. And thanks to everybody out there for listening. We are done with doing shows for 2016, but 2017, we promise, I promise to bring you more and more sports content, some entertaining stuff as well. i got a lot of ideas coming up, and we're going to get right to it at the turn of the new year. You can find the Money Mitch Effect on iTunes, Google Play, and SoundCloud by just searching Money Mitch Effect. And you can follow me on Twitter, as always, at MoneyMitchM21 for sports takes and more. That's going to do it for the show. Thanks for a great year. Thanks for a great Great, great listening base. Mitch Michael signing off. Enjoy your new year. Hope the holiday season was grand. And I'll see you next time here on the Money Mitch Effect.